This is Antlions of uh, Your Property Network, and uh, welcome to the podcast with me and my co-host. Yeah, I'm, I'm not awake. I know. We're, this is like, <laughs> sort of, we're like sort of Chris Evans and Zoe Ball or something. Like early but I always, I always feel like that. In like for the past, I say like three or four interviews, I've been not awake for them <laughs> and normally that's about three in the afternoon so i don't know what we do with that so. well at least i'm not in my pajamas like if that was a close thing to this wow. morning wow <laughs> see you from the waist up there might be pajamas going on i don't have no idea so okay so this is our favorite part of the month where we do the podcast and we bring on uh, an investor developer um property pro to, to chat through it and and this one i've been really looking forward to because today we're joined by a um Best-selling author, podcaster, property investor. Um, oh, that sounds a bit like my CV, actually. Although, <laughs> although he, he's like a sort of younger, better version of me with much better hair. So, what best-selling author are you? And I do the magazine. I do the magazine. Right? <laughs> Going to count that. All right. Okay. So, welcome to the podcast. You're at Haycare. Thank you, Anne. Thanks, Anne Angrad. And it's a pleasure to be here. And really, really looking forward to it. Okay, so I, I've been really looking forward to this one because we've got, you know, quite a bit in common, actually, in terms of our, our sort of pathway, I suppose. Uh, you were, uh, are, you, are you a fellow alumni of uh, Plymouth University? I am, yep, yep, 2000. Do we, do we have to do any kind of salute? I remember. Yeah, do I do any know. sort of salute? I don't know actually, what that is. Yeah. <laughs> do a secret handshake or something. Yeah. While, I, you, while you two can banter about Plymouth, I'll just sit and snooze. Do well. <laughs> do well. Yeah. So, um... Uh, what year were you? What, what year did you finish? So, two thousand and eleven, I graduated. Oh, okay. Yeah, God, I can't remember. That's years ago. That's sickening. That's sickening. <laughs> what were you? Well, class of ninety eight. <laughs> <laughs> I did like three decimal, I think. Yeah. <laughs> God, that sounds ancient, doesn't it? So, pre mobile phones, everything, pretty much. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, um, iPhone came out in my first year of uni, so. Yeah. I started and there wasn't an iPhone, but okay. yeah. Oh, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I missed your actual job titles here because we were yeah. just messing about. So you are um, co-founder and director of uh, Moreview Property and the KHP Group. Yeah. Um, we're going to be explaining in this podcast what those companies do, your role yeah. within them, and how you are... Um, I think you've got a really interesting take on what is actually quite a challenging market. I know Plymouth well, I have yeah. a number of investment properties there. So we're going to be talking about, although it's going to be a bit about Plymouth, it actually applies to many, many areas of the UK. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of lessons to be learned. So before we do that, let's talk about sort of life pre-full-time in property, because you are, yeah. you're not, you don't live there, do you? You're not based there. No, so I live in uh, I live in North London with my fiance, um, and I travel to Plymouth, and I work down here three days a week usually. Sometimes I'm down for a whole week, and then I'll be back in London for a week. But um, yeah, so just down here usually three days a week. Okay. One of my questions is actually um, how much time do you spend on the A three O three? I used to spend a lot. So when I first um, jumped into property full time, I used to drive all the time, and I really like the flexibility of it, and listen to podcasts in the car and things like that. Um, but after a while I just got completely sick of it I, I couldn't get any work done while I was driving it was even though I was like, sort of learning and feeding my brain it wasn't, I wasn't actually doing any work and the business was relying on me having some output so the guys and the team can actually do some work so then I just switched to train um, and I just train it all the time now the odd occasion I'll, I'll, um, I'll drive but 
just I get so much done on the train. It's really nice. Um, and if you can get some work where you don't need uh, internet or phone signal, it's it's really nice to get some focus work done. So, yeah, I actually quite look forward to the train journeys now. How, um, if you don't mind me asking, how much does that set you back by? Because the train system in the UK at the moment is not the most uh, budget friendly. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's it costs about it's about. Oh, do you mean in terms of cost? I'm more oh, interested yeah, in about... the time, you know, like, and I think it's a well, smart well, design. So, time. <laughs> so, so a few things. So it costs, it costs anywhere between 500 quid and a grand a month for the travel. Um, oh my God. <laughs> so on the, I've got a little strategy on the early trains out of London. I just go standard class because I can always get a table um, so I can do work and it's very, very quiet. I can get a table to myself in standard class. But on the busy train on the way back, I always go first class because it's six o'clock train on a Thursday. It's always rammed. Um, you're trying to like sort of do your, I mean, this is very visual. It's not very good for a podcast, but I'm sort of doing the impression <laughs> of someone trying to do work on a laptop on a, on a like an you air. Saw, you sort of look a little that bit almost like a looks like a squirrel. So that's not very practical. So I do go first class on the way back. So that's slightly more expensive, but you know, if you value your time and you value, you know, the output you can get done in that time, it's fine. It takes, the, the fastest train now is actually two hours, 58 minutes from London to Plymouth which is amazing. Oh, I thought it would be um, like five hours. No, no, no. Two hours 58 is the quickest one. And um, the delays come and I get that delay repay form up as soon as I can on the GWR website and I'm getting my claim in for, for, <laughs> for compensation if I'm delayed more than an hour or whatever it is. So yeah, it, it's fine. There's a few delays. How does it work splitting your life between Plymouth and, and London? Then? And is there a reason why you're still kind of based in London from a yeah. business point of view as, in, as well as just, you know, that's where my life is and fiance is and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay. So firstly, um, how does it work? Yeah, it works fine. I've been down here. I've been down here in Plymouth a lot more recently um, because I've been launching the book and um, just finishing up the editing of the book with, with Anglos. So I have been away a lot more, but um, I'm back in a routine now. Through it. There it oh, is. Your there success. it is. Ah, but, okay. um, <laughs> and so I have been down here a lot more, but actually when I'm in a, when I'm in a, when I'm in a schedule and, and I've got a, uh, a regular pattern, it's, it's a lot easier. Um, is, there a, is there a business reason yes, for remaining? Yeah, so um, a lot of investor meetings I have up in London and um, a lot of our investors in the HMO refurb business, a lot of our fixed interest rate investors, equity investors in projects, um, a lot of them are based in London um, or it's easy for them to get to London if they're international or whatever and you can meet them there. Um, and I, I love that aspect of it. I really like the contrast between sort of slightly slower pace of life down here, more things to do in terms of like the outdoors, uh, but then going back and having like amazing restaurants and it's hustle and bustle in London. But it, it's nice going both ways. It's a bit of a change. So, yeah. So does your... Um... How, how does your fiance cope with you sort of constantly on a train back and forth? Um, I, th I think like, sometimes she quite likes it because it's like when I'm away. <laughs> she she has to go away. You've got... <laughs> yeah, she's got, her own, uh, she's got her own space. But like I said, I have been away a lot more recently, which has been more tough um, because she, then she's there. We live in a uh, flat, so she's there on her own. So that is a bit tougher. And I've got to sort of appreciate that. But that was sort of a hump to get over to get the book out. But generally, you know, three days a week, it's only two nights I'm actually away. Um, so it's three days, but it's two nights. I'm still at home for five nights of the week. So um, I don't know which she prefers, probably when I'm not there. <laughs> I was in a long distance relationship for like 18 months. And when he was here, I was like, oh, yeah, it's all right. And then as soon as he's gone, I'd be like, oh, thank God I've got my, <laughs> my house back. Like, yeah. <laughs> after after about be... two days, I'd be like, you're getting under my feet now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never put anything, I don't know where anything lives. So like I like wash up the cheese grater and I'll be like, 
this lived here last week, but I don't know where it lives now, so I just put it anywhere. Yeah, right away, right away. Yeah. So um, I want to I want to talk about the the, the HMO business first, if yeah. that's okay, because yeah. that's yeah. sort of where things started for for you, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and Plymouth, I guess, is like many university towns out there. So there's two universities essentially in Plymouth. There's, there's what thirty thousand plus students in a yeah. in a relatively small city. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a university town. But there's seen some big shifts in it. it um, the massive student blocks have been built. Yeah. And uh, I think it'd be fair to say that the student market, um, the student HMO market has shrunk. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. People are maybe chasing the price down a little bit in some areas. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, definitely. So the stats are, I think, over the last five years, the, uh, the number of Plymouth University students, apologise about the noise, we're still having a bit of work done here. Um, and because it's before nine, they're just, the guys are getting in early to get it done. So um, I think down Plymouth student numbers, it's Plymouth student, you know, uh, sorry, Plymouth University numbers down 35% over five years, which is massive, you know, it's a massive um, decline. Um, but then you've got Marjons, which is actually growing. And then you've got the um, the art college, which has grown as well and has had a lot of investment in it. So. Um, I think on a net basis, it's still um, it's still maybe shrunk a little bit, but it is sort of there. You've had this massive influx of purpose-built student accommodation, which has taken a lot of the international and first-year students out. Part of the reason for that is the, the universities to climb the, the league tables have to be able to house a certain proportion of their first-year students. So they've done that to, to make sure they can you know compete um, internationally as a university. So you can see the, the rationale. From our point of view, we have... Um, definitely seen standards needing to increase and, and students can be a lot more discerning with the, the product that they, they demand now uh, and the sort of the golden triangle or golden circle of where you can actually have student property and call it student property has shrunk a little bit but where we've got property in that area and it's up to standard we, we actually have no problem filling it we last year we filled a property um, for not the next year but the year after that wow. so and that, that was amazing and to give the landlord the assurance you know contracts are signed and we've got the sort of um, fees in for that next year after the next is, is incredible. Um, That's really interesting saying, though because I remember when I was in uni and we were like looking at houses like my friends changed I felt like every month so I wanted to live yeah. with this group of people and I actually ended up living with that group of people and then this group of people over here wanted to live together in two years time and then we actually got, ended up falling out so and I never spoke to them again so. They, they, it, you know, read between the lines they all got fed up with Ang Harrod and ditched the yeah. So, yeah that's true yeah. that's probably true yeah um, yeah it's, it's, it's true and some people you know some people sign up for houses and then they fall out and then one of them has to drop out and you have to replace them but generally if they've if they're past their first year and they're into the second year uh, they've got they're, they're quite close and, and most of them will stick with the group that they decided yeah the, the, the other interesting sort of knock-on effect that it's had and this is where I'm really interested to see how your business has kind of flourished actually yeah. because the as the sort of student market in that that you know geographical circle of your student properties has, has shrunk yeah. we've seen a lot of um formerly student landlords go after the sort of young professional or the non-student hmo market yeah. with varying degrees of success absolutely um, yeah. uh, because Plymouth it's not a hugely affluent area there's not yeah. you know millions of uh, of, of, of wealthy young professional people yeah. looking for rooms necessarily so how do you and, and this is your kind of bread and butter this is your yeah. market and you you command higher rents than I've seen anywhere else in Plymouth yeah. probably so how do you do that and how are you able okay. to do that? 
So, so firstly, you're right. The, 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 the landlords that have been switching from student to professional have basically said, okay, I'm going to give this room a lick of paint and put some like furniture, the second hand in, and I'm going to call it professional HMO. They don't understand that it's an investment and you have to invest some serious money. And the investors that we work with that where we're taking these really rundown tired HMOs and flipping them into like young professional, really smart young professional houses with nice spaces to live in. You know, we're spending anywhere from 60 to 100 plus K on these refurbs, completely gutting it, rewiring, you know, just everything is everything is new. So that's why those landlords haven't had success because they've gone, OK, I'm going to spend five or 10 grand on this, try and make it a professional HMO and try and put the price up. And people are like, I'm not interested. So that's where they've, they've fallen down. Um, for us, you're right. It's not a complete it's not a, it doesn't it doesn't appear a very affluent uh, market. We have people, so some of the, some of the case studies I, I always use are, um, we've actually had a guy that's just taken the most expensive room that we've, that we've got. Um, that is, he's, he's like a mechanical engineer, but he's like, like a consultant level, like director level, but he actually lives in Spain. So he's actually only over here for like a few days. So it's almost like he's using it a bit like a service accommodation apartment because it's, everything is, everything is included and he's not going to be here that much. And he's getting it for like 620 quid a month or whatever. Um, and then we've got people that are on like, so the Pepsi or Coke graduate scheme. So all of these professional kind of big corporate companies, they place people down here for nine months a year, um, maybe even longer than that. They get a company car, they've got BMW Merck, they've got loads of disposable income. You know, and in Plymouth, you don't, and when we're charging, the biggest thing for us is, we're, comp we're not necessarily competing with other HMO rooms. We're competing with one bed flats, right? One and two bed flats. So if you get a one bed, two bed flat in Plymouth, you're looking at 500, 600 quid. You're then looking at council tax, your bills, all the, all the other stuff that you have to add on, all the hassle of doing it and the furnishing if it's unfurnished. So we're saying, well, actually, we can give you all of that. It's furnished. We're giving you all of the, um, all of the utilities included, high-speed virgin broadband, you know, we're giving you an ensuite room. The compromise is you have to share the kitchen with some people and you know, you have to just see whether you like them when you move in. Um, and the only real, the only real reason people move out when we do like a, a move out survey of the tenants that move out. And it's, it's because they've actually either got a partner, like a romantic partner or a friend that it then makes it viable to move into a one and two bed flat. So there's two of them. If they're paying 200, two at 600 in an HMO room, they've then got 1200 and they're like, well, we can live in our own. So, our own so the, the economics is that you're, you're pretty much sort of, just coming in under the cost of what it would get to, to be a decent one bed flat, you know, because yeah. there's some pretty poor yeah. one bed flats around yeah. as, as there are in every, yeah. any, any city. <laughs> and, um, and, and the other thing I think that, that you can't underplay is the hassle factor. So in, an, in a world where, you know, Uber, Just Eat, um, Deliveroo, you just want everything on demand, you want everything set up, people will pay a premium to have everything set up, have everything done for them because we've got, everyone's got busy lives. Um, and, and people don't want to like for the sake of saving a few quid, they don't want to have to ring around utility companies and sell their own Virgin and buy their own furniture. So that, there's value in that as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we, it's very much, I guess it's that market. That's what we expect now. So Uber convenience really. So yeah. um, that's funny though, because I don't know, we both live in quite rural areas and we have no Deliveroo, no Uber <laughs> and no just eat. <laughs> so you say, so like, yeah. <laughs> Really <laughs> I've got if I if there was a loyalty scheme with Deliveroo, I'd be I don't know a platinum member or something. I once yeah. I I used to live in Manchester and we had a Deliveroo um, and 
order uh, from Wagamama, I think it was. And it took us like an hour. It took them an hour to get to us. And um, we actually got free money from them. It was great. Really? <laughs> yeah. More free delivery. Yeah. Exactly. No, they are, if, they, if they mess up, they are... Um, yeah, they are, they are pretty good with, with refunding you. Pre-delivery days, my uh, good friend of mine used to get birthday cards and Christmas cards from his local takeaway. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he was platinum, yeah. platinum customer. Yeah. That without a doubt. Yes, extra, extra poppadoms without yeah. So I wanted to talk about the, the model for investment because you yeah. do this not only for yourselves, but yeah. for other people as well. And yeah. we'll, we'll cover yeah. that in a bit. But So what does uh, an HMO investment look like for, for yeah. you? Because... I look at the HMO market all the time and I sort of think, well, if I was going to go shopping for, for a place now, it's probably going to cost me 50 grand or that per room, there or thereabouts, maybe yeah, yeah. more actually. So, um, and that might get maybe 400 quid a month, maybe in some yeah. areas. And in fact, some places it's less. So you've got this kind of premium product, premium offering. So um, what, what does a typical HMO look like for you in terms of the financial model? So a typical HMO, so in terms of the, so I'll, I'll do, I'll go all the way through from sort of sourcing and the project management and all, all the way there. So um, we've, uh, we, we source the HMOs. So we charge three grand for a sourcing fee. Um, that's lower than a lot of places that people charge 2% of the purchase price. And we're looking at, you know, circa 200K for purchase price. So it would normally be four, but we just think, you know, we're providing a really good service, but we, we want it to be a fair value. So that's three grand for the sourcing fee. Um, we then also project manage, we coordinate the broker, the solicitor, the, um, the lender, and we're just coordinating all the evidence in terms of HMO usage, actually driving that program because the time that can be lost in that conveyancing piece is, is massive and obviously time is money. So we want to get that through as quickly as possible. And from, for a hands-free uh, investor or someone in London or whatever, that's really valuable because they don't want to generally deal with a lot of the admin. So we, we support, so our, the, um, the, the person in the team that does the sourcing also does the sort of we call it deal progression which actually gets you up to the point of exchange uh, and then we and then from exchange um, we project manage the refurb so that's 15% of the, of the works cost so if you've got a 60k refurb say it'll be 9k for the for the, for the PM fee uh, and that'll be again completely hands-free take half the fee up front half at the end um, we go out to tender for the work, so we, you know, there's, there's surety on the works cost unless there's any variations or extras as we go through and we get have client approval forms so that the client can stay on top of how much is being spent. Um, so they know how much it's going to cost from, from that point onwards. Um, we're looking at buying HMOs between, again, they are going up in, in, in price and it's because um, the Article 4 direction, so it's removed the permitted development rights to go from a C3 uh, family house dwelling house into a C4 HMO so they're not effectively creating any more new HMOs apart from in very exceptional circumstances like another project that we're doing we'll talk about on another day um, and so so that is that means there's a finite pool of these HMOs and while you know there's a lot of people talking about tenant demand and things like that um, they're people they're still valued and they're still at least staying level or sometimes going up in price so 180 to 220 is what we're looking at for a sort of five to six bed HMO um, works we're looking at 60 to 100k on works um and then um i think gross rent there's usually four rooms at 600 and then uh, another a room at 550 maybe one at 525 so you're looking at sort of 3000 3300 sort of as as gross um and then once you come once you come through all your costs um and mortgage obviously mortgage rates are very low at the minute um 
but we always say to the investor they need to stress test it as well. You're looking at about probably 1,200 quid, a grand, um, but, then, but then that's if the investor's using their own money. If you then say, okay, well, I'm going to look at how, many, how much money I've got left in after the refinance, that obviously drops down. So if you put a charge on your, your, um, your, the money left in, because sometimes you, you know, gone are the days where you can refinance and pull all your money out. You know, it just doesn't happen when you're spending this much on a product and which you have to, to get the, the rental figures. You can't just say, I'm going to refinance and pull all my money out, leave a bit of money in. If you take that, take that into account as well, you're probably looking at net, net five to 700, up to, up to 800, 900 on a really good one. Um, so that's, taking into account an interest charge, say 10% or whatever on your, uh, the opportunity cost of your money left in. And then you've also got that net net return. So, or you look at it as an absolute return on your, um, on your money left in and you're looking at 15, 20% plus. Um, so if you leave hundred K in, then you, you're going to make, you know, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's really awesome. <laughs> busting returns you know yeah it's very very difficult to achieve that and, and why are your kind of london investors looking at plymouth is it simply because the the um the capital cost is so much lower and the, the returns are, are, are you know so much better um are they are they looking at the longer term capital appreciation as well or do you have to take a viewpoint on that or is it purely income investments we don't um we don't ever factor that in um because it's almost like a, a nice bonus um and yeah, who knows I- I am, knows, I'm I with you on that one. You hear people yeah. go, oh yeah, I bought in this because it's supposed to be a good place yeah. for capital appreciation. I'm yeah. thinking, well, you know, if there's another recession, yeah, you know, you can't, I, I feel like you can't really make your you know, long term, based on that. No, you can't, you can't. Long term, you know, if you're saying market cycles, 12, 15, 20 years, you're going to look at house prices doubling. If that continues, then, then great. And that's really nice. Um, we can either refinance and invest more or we can sell and we can pull some money out. But you've got to do it on cash, you know, capital growth doesn't pay the bills. Um, so you've got to, you've got to just do it on, on cash flow. Um, and, and then, and then it's a nice to have. And I think that's probably what a lot of the London investors are getting a bit sick of sort of people spouting, um, guaranteed capital uh, returns in London. And then um, as we've seen at the moment, I was at the commercial developers conference um, the other day and oops, my earbud falling out. Oh, oh, you know, champagne problems right there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Do you know, I've, I've got a pair. I've, I've got a pair. Yeah. I wear them all the time. Right, and literally, you know what? Kind of... He is saying that because, well, you're not actually wearing. We're on a podcast, so they now. can't see. You're not wearing, wearing them now. You've got the. I said, I'm not. Hang on a minute. Oh, you're not wearing them. <laughs> right. There we go. They're there. I'm not wearing them now. You have got them. Yeah. For that very reason. And all yeah. the time when I'm kind of out walking the dogs, I take my jumper off or something and I literally always... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. Did you see on They're Twitter... Really kid, did you see on Twitter about that guy that, like, he had his AirPod, like, drop down into the New York subway? Oh, and <laughs> there's, like, a picture of him and he's, like, I just, you know, £80 worth is right down yeah, there. Yeah. And, and the guys from the New York... Transport actually went down and got it for him. Wow. Yeah, they stopped trains so they could go get think, his little ear. Well, <laughs> they are, they, they are, yeah, they are good. But I, I, the amount of times I've dropped them, I'm surprised they even still work. So, um, yeah. but yeah, so um, what were we talking about? So, um, yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, that was it. So, was it, there was a there was a couple of Savills presentations at this commercial developers conference and. You know, they do the classic Savills heat maps and it's not looking good in London at the minute in terms of, which we've heard, which I've heard from friends and other investors up there. 
you know, it's cooling on some places it's dropping. So whereas regionally doing very well, East and West Midlands down in the Southwest, um, up North as well is, is, is still doing all right, even just on a, on a capital growth basis. It's more, it's more steady. You know, you don't get the massive uh, peaks and troughs like you do in London. Um, but at the same time that protects you when, when things are cooling off, you know, it doesn't, if you've only gone up a few percent in the last few years. Um, you're not going to tank that much. So. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask as well, are you seeing, because, um, you know, where we are with the magazine, we see a bit of a trend across the UK of people kind of, you know, uh, upping their game on the HMO side of things. Are you seeing uh, other people in Plymouth trying to replicate what you're doing or are you still kind of... Um, yeah. On your own, yeah. No, 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 absolutely not. You can't do anything for, for any amount of time and, and, you know, get any kind of, profile on you know i like to be on social media quite a lot and, and showing off what we do so yeah there's there's definitely other people you know i'm not saying they've copied us but they've there's 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 information out there and you know there's you can look at the market trends and things like that so they're definitely going with that product so we're just having to constantly innovate on it so two three years ago i was actually speaking at cardiff pin and julian maurice was on after me and i showed some uh, like a bit about like who i am i showed some pictures of some of our hmos from a couple of years ago and i was like I'm actually a bit embarrassed about these pictures because we are constantly innovating. You know, they're all filled with the very basic fusion furniture. And again, fusion are amazing, but you have to look at different packages and mixing things up because there's a, when everyone starts doing it and someone's looking on spare room or, or whatever, they're seeing exactly the same things. There's no differentiation. So we work with interior designer at the minute and we're not looking, not jumping on trends, but looking more at like, how can we add feature pieces, have quite, you know, economic for our investors economic standard pieces but then have like feature mirrors tables chairs you know um, bed headboards whatever it is that actually you know and um, pendant lights as well and shades that just make things stand out so yeah we're definitely seeing people um doing a similar product and that's why we've just got to keep keep ahead of keep ahead of the game okay and, and what oh. i was going to ask what, what's your role in the business then and how is the business yeah. kind of set up and we'll talk about more of you first of all and then i want to talk some, yep. a little bit about khp so yep. how do you fit into it and what does what do other people do uh <laughs> other people do everything and i just no no um so we've got a really really great team so um it's my, in more view it's myself and my business partner james so james got a construction background I've sort of been in banking, done project management um, and a bit of finance and accounting as well. Um, So I do a lot of the marketing sales activity. I do a lot of the, pretty much all of the team stuff. So recruitment, um, development, appraisals, team meetings, um, all all of that kind of stuff because James is much more sort of hands-on construction than leading the projects. So, or coordinating the projects. And, We've got a finance director that we work with. We've got a finance manager and we've got a part-time finance director that we sit down with. So I, um, I do the finance part of that as well. Um, and yeah, it works really well. I think that the partnership with James is, has been fantastic. It's, um, we, we don't tread on each other's toes because we've sort of stay in our lanes and we know what we're good at. We, we can offer um, opinions on different things and sometimes it's good to get an outside perspective, but we sort of respect each other's exp- areas of expertise and he likes doing things that I don't like doing and vice versa. So... Um, so that works really well in terms of how the team's structured. We've got our core business is uh, Moreview Let's, which is the HMO um, management um, business. We've got uh, Southwest Property Sourcing, which is the sourcing business that feeds into that. We've got Moreview Property Developments, which does the refurbs. Um, we've then got the service accommodation management business. Uh, and we've got Moreview Workspace, which is our new office. So we've got our own office. And then we've got some um, fixed offices and hot desking 
co-working space as well here. Um, so that's a, that's a separate business as well. Yeah, I was um, going to ask about got, that actually. Um, yeah. So why did you decide to do a co-working space? Like, what, okay. What so was it simply you needed your own office, and then you just were like, oh, yeah. So <laughs> kind of so, building. What should we do with it? Yeah, exactly. So it's quite it's quite interesting actually. It's quite a good case study. So um, probably January two thousand and what we in two thousand seventeen. Um, me, James and I were working out of James's lounge in one of his houses um, that he that is now a student HMO. It was a it was an HMO. Me, I lived there with him and uh, with a couple of other guys. Um, and we, as in when I was in Plymouth, and we were just working out of his lounge. We were like, we can't we can't keep doing this. We've got to get an office. So we moved into a Regis um, serviced office. Uh, really nice, really nice view. And we moved into one, and then within about three months or something we outgrew it because we took on um, a couple of members of the staff and we were like right we need to move to a bigger one so we moved there internally then uh, we moved again a few months later and then we moved again into a bigger one and each time we were just outgrowing the space and we were like we can't keep doing this and and then we were like we're a property company what we can't keep like renting our, our properties this is ridiculous so we we're like right we want to do a project we found this site and we were going to buy it um, and and then fit it out which is where we are now work more view workspace and then Phil uh, Bailey, our business partner in KHP, was like, well, I've got this SaaS pension that I can deploy. He'd taken some of it out and invested it, half of it, but then the other half you can use for commercial property. So he's actually bought the unit. Moreview Property have leased it off him for, uh, for 10 years. Um, we paid for the uh, we paid for tenant fit out, but we've also done a bit of landlord works as well in terms of windows and, um, and stuff like that. So um, he gave us a bit of a rent reduction um, on the rent as well. So he's, it's a real win-win because we didn't have to front the cash to buy the unit. He's getting a good return into his pension. We've increased the asset value. We've got an amazing fit-for-purpose fit for um, office, which we can actually grow into as well. Um, and we're going to have some income from the other side as well when it's, when it's finished off. So we're going to have fixed offices and, and things like that. So it's a bit of everything, really. We needed the space. It's a good business opportunity. It fits the pension. means we didn't need to buy the, have the cash up front. So yeah, it's been it's been really really good. So is your for the for the people who are going to be hot desking, do you have like um, a monthly membership? Um, yeah, yeah. So we're going to do the the the, the co working is just going to be a rolling monthly basis. So you pay for a month and and, and how. Can I be cheeky and ask how much you're charging for that? Hundred pounds, hundred pounds a desk. It's yeah, that's okay. And um, do they do they get free coffee, free? Yeah. Okay. Super fast. Um, uh, Virgin cleaning. We're going to start doing some events when we've got a few more people in. We're going to start doing mm -hmm. some events as well and get some speakers down. Um, maybe to talk about their new book that they've just written. You know, all of those, <laughs> all of those kind of things. So um, yeah, it's really exciting. We've got there's a young entrepreneurs network down here as well. So we want to get them in, uh, get them into either do a meeting or a workshop down here and have some kind of you know make it a destination as well. Mm. Uh, well, it's just a, just a desk. And cool. you mentioned um, KHP. So yeah. KHP is another business with, with yeah. different partners and some yeah. same partners in it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's kind of how I met you, you yeah. initially. You, you did a very yeah, similar we, development to yeah. us. Um, and you've used some builders and then we use them. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell us a little bit yeah, about we, KHP. And um, I'll, I'll refer back to, I can't remember what episode, uh, what um, edition of YPN, but we had uh, Kingsley House was our development project we did. We had a nice write-up in, um, in, in YPN on that as well. Um, and with some top tips on conversion of historic buildings and listed buildings. So if anyone's doing listed buildings, they can check that out. Um, 
Yeah, so James and I um, partnered with um, Phil Bailey, Zylina Bailey and Carl Bailey, um, to, who are an architect, building surveyor and um, Zylina is an interior designer and she's got an HR background as well, which, which adds, adds a lot to the, to the mix, um, to basically do bigger commercial conversion developments. We started off with one, which was the conversion of a care home into 10 flats over in Saltash, so over, over the river. Um, and um, that went really well and we were like, well, let's should we just start a development company off the back of that rather than just being one project, let's start a development company. So we hired a, a full, well, eventually we got to a point where we hired a full-time sourcer um, and we've now got project manager working with us and we've got a, a finance assistant and we share a finance manager between Morley and KHP. So we built it into a proper development company. We've got four projects that are going to go live. Um, well, one's going live this week and the next, all the others are going to be in the next four or five months. And that's going to be about eight million pounds of GDV on site. Um, so really, really exciting, lots going on, a mixture of stuff that we're selling and stuff that we're holding on to. So we've got 22 flats um, up in Crediton near Exeter, a care home into 22 flats. We've got a hotel um, in um, Torbay that we're converting into 10, 10 apartments that we'll sell. And then we've got the chapel, which is going live on Crowd Property, uh, which is a crowdfunding platform for property. The webinar's tonight and it's going live uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, and that's going to be 30 HMO rooms in the centre of, of Plymouth split across six flats with the conversion of an old chapel. And yeah, then there's a bit of work on that when well, I've been to the chapel. Yeah, we went to that one, didn't we? More, more than a light refurb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I know that we're a bit conscious of time and I have like, yeah. quite a few questions that I want that's to ask. That's fine. Actually, if we need to go over, I'll just, well, it's fine. We can carry okay. on. But yeah, I don't want to like. Not too far over. <laughs> um, so looking back to this time last year, you were obviously yeah. starting to plan for 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were your goals that you, well, what did you want to achieve in 2018? So we wanted to, um, we wanted to have our own office. Definitely we've been thinking about that for a while. So a uh, tick, we've achieved that. We wanted to get to a point where we were sourcing and delivering two HMO refurbs a month, which, which we're now doing. Um, and we, uh, and then sort of following on the HMO rooms from that, just sort of increasing uh, from about probably 80, I think about 80, no, yeah, about 80 probably at the beginning of the year. And then we were like, by next year, we want to have 300. So we want to be on the way to that, which we are. Um, and service accommodation business, we've, service accommodation business, we've taken on a couple of new units. We've let a couple go. The service accommodation business is, is very, very competitive down here. Um, and we're having a lot of success with direct bookings and contractors, but the, because it's a hol because it's a holiday market down here, um, it's getting very competitive in that space. Um, so we've only really taken on units where um, they're really prime holiday. So there's one over in Cornwall that we've taken on or where we can get contractors in, but like professional contractors and they'll book it out. You know, we've had one that's been booked out. I think the total booking value is about 22K from one, from one house, from one, um, uh, one client. So that's been amazing and that's really good, but we haven't, we're not really pushing that. We've got so much going on that we can't sort of aggressively go down the SA, the SA route as well. Um, so yeah, we're doing, we're doing pretty well and, and really the team has expanded as a result of that. I, I actually can't remember who we had at the beginning of the year, which is terrible. We've probably recruited five or six people this year mm -hmm. um, into full-time positions. So, you know, it's, it's gone mad. We've sort of accelerated the business and then been like, actually, we need, you know, we need people, people to, to deliver this. And it's, that's one of my passions is building a great team with great culture and really developing the people. And um, yeah, it's going really well. Now we're in our new space and we had a, we had a really good, um, we have a weekly team meeting. We had a really good one yesterday in the new office, KPIs on the wall, everyone really engaged and it was just a really, really nice day. So 
Yeah. And what were the uh, speed bumps in 2018? That was my quite... next question. Because yeah, well, <laughs> so, not everything goes to plan, does it? So if, if, if there are any stuff that you look back and you think, you know, we couldn't have foreseen that happening or, um, you know, we should have foreseen it happening or, you know, stuff which is just different to how you thought it was going to pan out. God, yeah. Well, he's just worked the plan. It sounds like he's just no, no, worked no, it the plan. Hasn't, it hasn't. But do you know what? I think the problem is I, so we have, we have a thing called black box thinking, which is where we take, like, where we do process improvement. So if something's not working, there's a book called Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed, and it's a really, really good book that compares the um, sort of how historically the medical profession has been versus the airline industry. So the airline industry learns from its mistakes, near misses, shares information instantly and all the time. And that helps it really improve. And it's very, very safe for what, for what the business it is. It's actually very, very safe. Whereas the medical profession historically, I think it's changed a little bit more recently, but there's a lot of cover ups and people don't like taking advice from like more junior people. So we've very much embraced that here to try and improve. And I think the problem is I don't, although we do the black box thinking, I don't dwell on like what didn't go didn't, didn't go well. Um, I think the, the, the key things are just always, always having to raise finance, just continuously raising finance for doing new projects. Um, just recruiting really, really well. Um, where we've sort of shifted, where, where we focused on certain things, making sure we don't drop the ball on other things. So like, okay, we're focusing on delivering these HMOs. We still need to think about actually pipelining new HMOs coming in. Um, and so that's, you know, you notice there's a month where you haven't sourced as many as you, as you should have done. And actually you then have to go back and be like, no, we need to put focus on this to keep the pipeline going up, going on. What else? Um, so how do you keep all the, all the, all the balls in the air, all the plates spinning? Do you have a, like, you know, one day you, you do this and the next day you do this or do you? No, every, every day I do everything. No. Every day, everything. <laughs> to, be, to be honest we've got a really really good team and um we've got a fairly young team and um so that we've had to sort of train them up in, in certain ways but they've got like they have a lot of ownership of a lot of things and james and i are very much about empowering them to be able to make decisions and things like that and then they report to us on key metrics um bring in our probably our biggest thing actually here we go so a speed bump um is the biggest thing is um financial management reporting processes controls this year because you know, we've gone from a business where it's James and I working out of his lounge and we had a couple of people helping us um, and a VA in the Philippines who we still got, Jeff is amazing, to an actual, you know, proper, proper, both the development business and our, our other business, the um, Morphe business. Having, so we've recruited, we've now got two full-time book, bookkeepers, finance assistants. We've got a full-time finance manager. We've got a finance director that we work with between the two businesses, two or three days a, a month. Um, and we've got two, we've got a temp um, who's helped the finance assistant and a, like a, uh, someone who's at uni, like a grad helping us out. Because you can't underestimate how important having your numbers on time, knowing where you are, reporting to clients. When you're handling client money, you've got the lettings business, you've got the SA business, we've got client money on account for the refurb business, we've got investment money coming in for um, doing big projects and also for more of you. It's so, it's so, so important. And historically, we haven't invested enough in it. And that's why this year we've really focused on it. And it's been amazing. Like the transformation since we started working with our finance director to now is, is incredible. The transparency, the visibility, the profitability, just everything is just much better now. And this, you know, we're not perfect. There's still a long way to go. And we always keep improving. But that's probably, and I think for your listeners and readers, treating property like a business is probably the biggest takeaway. It's a, very lot of people, easy to be like, a lot more people are saying that 
uh, yeah. recently. Um, yeah. Do you know what? Even on a very small scale, isn't it? You know, even yeah, if, yeah, even if doing... it's just like me in my living room, you know, you've got to be professional. Or, 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 you know, just, just, I mean, I think you, I guess we go back to what you're talking about, you know, London investors getting fed up with people talking about capital appreciation. No one's going to launch a business based on what may or may not, not, not happen in terms of capital appreciation. It's, you know, business about cash flow and profit, isn't they it? They have though. They have though. Um, I'm not going to name yeah. any names, but there are some properties. Ah, oh, go on, yeah. name and shame. No, don't, don't, <laughs> don't do it. Don't there's do it. There's some property investment platforms that actually, it's like you buy shares in a property. I think, and you know what I'm talking about, and that actually says, oh no, well, it's the return that you get, which is crap because it's yields in London, and then they factor in the capital appreciation, which which might happen and probably historically will, but you're buying into it on that basis, and yeah. yeah. The roll of the dice, that one, isn't it? Yeah. But um, I've got one one more question. Yeah. Just check my list. Yeah, just the one I think. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, looking back now, is there anything yeah. that you would do differently? Um, recruit finance, uh, recruit into the finance fun function earlier, and get a finance yeah. director earlier. So I think I think what we did was probably our error is um, because I was because I've come from a finance background even though I was doing project management and change management at, at HSBC and Lloyd's because I've done that because I've done business economics and accounting at uni I sort of was like oh I'll do it you know I'll, I'll do zero and I'll do all the bookkeeping and I'll do the finance stuff and um, I'm not an accountant and I'm not it's not my passion of what I do um, so I was sort of trying to just do it and I, I know I'll do this and you know just it's a really hard hire the finance function is a really hard hire because it doesn't like on a pure basis it doesn't generate any income it's just a yeah, they're, they're the really difficult financial decisions yeah. because you'll yeah. employ people who aren't bringing money into the business but yeah. you know juggling pots of cash and making sure you've got enough money to finish projects and but it, you know it, it, it only takes a, it only takes a couple of times when you're like shit we've sorry for swearing I don't know no no go ahead. <laughs> right, well, you're like it only takes a couple of instances where you're like oh no i can see that i can see a real financial tangible impact of what we've missed there or what we've done wrong or what we could have done better rather um if, if we'd hired you know if we'd spent x amount on a book on a bookkeeper or finance manager we wouldn't have had to do had to do that and then you sort of extrapolate that out over a growing business and you're like there's the there's the business case for hiring them straight up um and also just the, the time when you sit in meetings, you have your financial meetings, you have your management meetings and you're like, and you don't have the up-to-date data that you need to make the decisions that you want. And you're like, you know, this is ridiculous. You've got to, you've got to have it. So that's what I would have done differently. Definitely okay. recruited into that, that, that space earlier. Um, and because we didn't do that, it's then cost us more to then go back and sort of retrospectively make yeah. sure everything was right and things like that so get somebody to figure out what you've been doing for the last yeah. year yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to ask as I'm well about... to, I'm, I'm literally not allowed to touch zero now finance manager Gemma is like perfect if I Absolutely. see you doing you're, it you're banned like, from it I literally am I was like is there a way that you can just put a block on me I want to be able to see everything but I need to not be able to touch anything and yeah um I wanted so, to, to ask... that. sorry I'm to cut you off again but just just very quickly on that it's it's not just about not having the, the finance function it's about sort of um self-awareness of what you actually like to do and like even though i was doing the finance stuff I, it wasn't my passion obviously that's why it wasn't being prioritized and being done uh, as well like the bookkeeping wasn't being kept up to date because it's not what i'm really good at and it's not where i add value in the business and i think a bit of self-awareness around that would have been really really good as well and um, so for people like just focus on what you're good at de de delegate or outsource the rest 
Yeah, that kind of brings me on to, to, to my next question, really. If, you know, the stuff that you actually enjoy doing. And, and you know, I've got your book here in front of me. So your success. Plug, plug, and plug, I yeah. wanted to ask why. So you do, so you do your success podcast yeah. with, um, with Angelos. Great yeah. guy. You know, really, yeah. really great guy. Um, what is the motivation behind that? Or is it just you just yeah. like doing it? Or is there you know something you know a business purpose to it as well why yeah it takes time it takes time to write yeah, a book yeah, and do a podcast yeah. and all that stuff so um a few reasons so we started the podcast um, originally called pig pods um so anglos runs um a independent networking event down here called professional investment group um so we started as pig pods and it was going to be property and business sort of chat between the two of us that's what we like to like to do so we started that and then as we were doing it we were like actually our passion is more the bit definitely the business side and we do like property but we like property as a business but it's more sort of personal development mindset and things like that and how can we be better and how can we learn from people that are really successful so then we changed the name from the beginning we'd said welcome to pig pods your success podcast that's what we just called it like this tagline so then we were like the, the the name was there all along so we changed it to your success podcast that then opens up the ability to speak to more people not just from property and not people because we had listeners all we got lit we have got listeners all around the world and people are like what's a pig what's a pig mean what does that mean and we you know, we had the image of, of Lisa, the pig, the professional investment group pig. And so we had to have a rebrand. It opened the doors to more people. And we've spoken to some amazing people since. Um, it's why are we doing it? Um, it's a, a, just a real passion of just learning, um, you know, trying to be better mindset, personal development. How can you learn from successful people? What, what do they do differently to the majority that makes them successful? Um, brand profile building some of the people we've met have been amazing as well um just like us doors open yeah yeah exactly i mean we wouldn't have potentially <laughs> wouldn't have done this you know all of, there's, there's loads of different stuff and then then the books followed on from that because we were like well we want to distill what we've learned into something that other people can learn from as well and there's a toolkit in there as well so rather than it just being theory it's actually practical tangible advice that people can use um and so we, so what was, what was I saying? So we've got the ten key traits of success in there, so, and and again, that is it's for, it's helping other people to learn. Um, it's helped us distill what we've learned from the podcast, um, and it also opens the doors. So like on Saturday, we're going to be on BBC Radio Devon. We're getting um, doors opening now in terms of podcast interviews for people to be on our podcast. Um, that you know doors were closed before, but then you say I'm an Amazon number one best-selling author. Um, I send you a free copy of the book. It's a really good business card. And people are like, oh, okay, now I'm interested. It gives you a bit of credibility. Um, not for the money. So no one is, becomes an author for the money. So um, yeah, it's, but it's just great fun. And I think the, the challenge for me recently has been um, the balance as well, just because obviously Morby and KHB are growing um, really sort of aggressively. So it's just trying to balance what I really love. Like I really love doing the podcast, but it is a hobby. Uh, and that the book is a hobby because it doesn't generate any money at the, at the, at the moment um but it's a really good outlet and it actually feeds other areas of the business and you know we get investors through the property business because they've listened to the podcast read the book or all, all that kind of stuff so okay yeah and, and what was the process of writing the book like because actually sitting down and looking at some blank screens is yeah pretty daunting well it's, i don't yeah. know that is literally my job every month and <laughs> <laughs> i know i did it but right. i did it while you were still at school <laughs> Um, so, um, we, we actually go through, a, um, we've been, we've been doing a couple of presentations on how we've written the book. So we've got this six step plan. So it's, um, you have to start with a book plan. So you have to start with what's the objective of the book? Who's the key audience? Um, start with 
just brainstorming out ideas before you get deep into content writing you have to know why you're writing it who you're writing it for what the language is going to be like what the assumed level of experience of the people reading it's going to be like so you can tailor the stuff to that um what's number two number two is actually writing the content so just getting down we went away for um romantic weekends inverted commas um to some hotels to just get the content just get the content down I have um, this image of you now in like a really nice posh hotel in, uh, you know, there's four poster beds in your yeah. nice, like fluffy dressing gown and fluffy slippers. Branded, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know with a laptop, with a towel cool. around your head. Do you know what? It was basically that. But the only thing I'd add is that in the background, there was um, wedding parties going on. So we're down there in like the, in the lobby in the bar, like writing the things. And there's a really funny video that we got that where Bruno Mars is playing all the disco lights running in the background and Angelos has got his noise cancelling headphones on trying to like write, write the book. Um, so there's the book writing, then there's like book um, getting a book cover design done, which really brings it to life and just iterating through that. There's illustrations that we got done. Um, the really important part is the peer review. So we had, we sent it out to a load of peers who had different backgrounds. Some of them, you know, had like English master's um, degrees and all these other kind of things. The feedback we got from them was so important because they, the feedback was, there's loads of great content in there and loads of great insight from the podcast and from your own experience. Um, but there isn't a flow to it. It just feels like a collection of ideas. So then we went sort of, we then took, we basically worked on it for three days, uh, 14 hours a day for three days just working on the flow and just finishing off the content. And that's how we came up with the 10 key traits of success. So grouping the common ideas into themes um, and putting them in there. Um, and then the marketing and the book launch, which was, which was really good fun. And we did a, held a party in the cinema. We had 120 people there um, and yeah, and got to Amazon number one bestseller. So, you know, it was really, really good fun. It's really hard work and very time consuming. And um, it, I'm quite glad that it's that bit's done because it was so, it was a lot of effort that went into it. Um, but yeah, no, it was really, really worthwhile. And it's there forever now, you know, it's out there. So. Yeah. And so, what, what is next for you? I know we're, we're very conscious say, of time. What are my plans? <laughs> what are your plans for next year? <laughs> um, plans for next year? God, yeah, we need to God, we need to start thinking about that. So um, continuing to do more HMO refurbs for ourselves. So we're buying, we're probably buying, between KHP and Morgan, we're buying 50% of the HMOs we source and the other 50% we, we sell on. Um, continue to buy more HMO refurbs, continue to grow the team. Um, do just deliver the development. So we've got four big developments that are going to be, you know, anywhere between nine, 10, up to 24 months in, in construction. So really focus on hardcore sort of just execution and delivery of those. Um, and yeah, that's it at the moment. I can't, you can't really see past that. We've got so much going on. Delivering on the HMOs that we sourced this year as well. So um, the ones that we're sourcing now will sort of be, or that we've been sourcing will sort of be coming on site in January, February as well. So um if you if, the thing with the hmos because they take three to four months in terms of program if you source two a month you very quickly get to a point where you've got about five six eight on site at any one time at various stages but they all overlap so um just really busy doing that um recruiting up to to deliver that and deliver the commercial um commercial conversion projects and uh, and that's it we're probably going to write another book but probably not till autumn next year we've got a couple of ideas um, continue, continue to interview more amazing people on the podcast and well, get the if workspace. You, if you'd like to interview us, you know, because yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I have actually been texting Anne about. We have been talking about it. We have been talking about probably. It. Oh, great! So behind my back, brilliant. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, on you, Anne Howard. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will get it done. Definitely. You've got to keep that quiet. It's not going to know. 
yeah. Okay, so but yeah, it's really exciting, and I think the other thing is just while we're doing is all that is just keep growing the team, keep developing the team, and um, you know the guys. I don't want to speak for them, but you know they, they love working here because they're a lot of them have come from jobs where they haven't felt valued and now they feel valued and you know they get feedback and it's not always easy and it's sometimes it's long hours but it's you know it's it's, it's definitely worthwhile because we do actually care about the team so yeah right and um normally at this point we say you know how's the best way to if people to get in contact or follow you uh, online or whatever and it's yeah. probably a very long list actually for you there's there's loads yeah. of ways for people to um uh you know engage so let's list some of those so okay uh, god okay yeah so um you can email me uh, more at, at yeah i've got the book so by the book out the book on amazon uh, it's called your success um, you can email me more at moreviewproperty.com. So M U R A T at moreviewproperty, M O O R V I E W property, all one word.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think it's oh. more at Jeffrey Hake on Instagram. I'll just um, give you a follow now. Uh, Facebook, I'm my like public page, public profile. It's very um, awkward, is uh, Mo Hake um, And I try and put all the sort of the business stuff on, on, that, on that page. Uh, where else? I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, wherever really. Um, check out the Morby Property website, KHP website. Um, KHP Group is KHP Group UK, I think, on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm all over the place. I'm um, I'm, do I'm trying to do Nicole Bremner and be omnipresent um, on social media. So yeah, omnipresent and then maybe omnipotent. You know, that's the aim. Yeah. So. <laughs> Being everywhere at every yeah, time. all powerful. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quite an aim. That's good. Aim hard. In, in Plymouth, yeah. Let's start yeah. with Plymouth, and then we'll yeah, go world domination after that. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, we've been Thank meaning you. to get you onto the on the podcast for for ages. Um, uh, we know the process from here, but we we chatted about it earlier on with in, in terms of getting yeah. up together. Um, and so yeah, maybe let's look forward to sort of doing this vice versa the other way around yeah definitely, yeah definitely yeah and thank you and thanks for having me on it's been really really good fun and um even yeah. though it is basically sparrow fart there's yeah <laughs> it's now 904 we started at eight o'clock it, it's like lunchtime now <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i'm going back to bed yeah <laughs> yeah well i'm, I'm going okay. to an all-day meeting so yeah you're well, well enjoy. Yeah. enjoy it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege we couldn't yeah. produce the magazine without without people like yourself sharing your experience and your expertise so uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon and from us best of luck with 2019 we know you're going to smash it so take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can go to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. You can download the article that we create from the podcast so you can see all of the case study pictures, all the uh, financials, um, and a bit more information uh, in there as well. And there's loads of other useful things to download uh, on that web page as well. And don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe to our podcast.